0: series just so you're aware is we're we're talking through some of the Levitical sacrifices in the Old Testament because we're kind of crazy Um and the whole goal of this is to help us to understand how do, how do these point to Jesus? Because if we believe, which we do, that the Bible is God's word, the entire thing, then all of it points to Jesus. And so we're tackling these, these uh, sacrifices because for a lot of people, these can be a hang-up of looking back and like, what in the world is going on and why did God have people do that stuff? So that's the heart of this series. Last week, Brian kicked us off with the Ola We're kind of going by the Hebrew names as well. So he went with the Ola, which is the the burnt offering. That was the one offering that the entirety of it was burnt for the Lord. Um, So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can listen to it in our app. We also have a YouTube channel. You can watch it. Um, But I encourage you to go back because that sets the stage for a lot of these other sacrifices as well. It's one of the most important ones. But today, we are going to look at two more. So I'm going to try to cram it two into this morning. So please try to follow with me. I promise you it will not be purely mundane information and things like that. This will absolutely help you in your faith and understand more about Jesus. But today we're talking about the Minha and the Shalemim. So these are found in Levit- Leviticus chapters two and three. So if you, if you have your Bibles with you, and we continue to push this, uh, we would love to see you bring your paper Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn to these passages, Leviticus two and three is where we're going to spend most of our morning. But I want to give a disclaimer before we really get, jump into these, because we're talking about a culture from 3,500 years ago. Like. 3,500 years ago is roughly when Leviticus was written. So we're talking way, 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 way long time ago in a completely different part of the world. So if you can think back, I mean, for some of you, it's been a longer time than others since you've been in school and done like U.S. history and things like that. But you can go back in history just 100 years in America and you can look at people and be like, what in the world were they thinking? Why did they do that? Why did they talk like that? What was there some weird cultural differences? So we're talking 3,500 years ago. So I just want to keep that in mind because we're going to be reading some weird things and they're weird for a reason. If they don't seem weird to you, then I don't know. That's that's weird to me. So, (laughs) um, but we're talking about a very different culture. And so how many of here have traveled to a different country? Out of the country, okay. Wow, most, that's awesome. Well traveled. So if you've ever traveled to a different country, you've probably experienced culture shock. And if you haven't, you probably have heard the term. So basically what happens is when you leave the country, more often than not, that's when we experience it, and you're immersed in a culture that is so different from your own, it's so unnatural, and you, know, you just don't know how to carry yourself, you don't know how to interact with other people, right? There's a sense of shock of, I don't know what to do, and we can kind of wrestle with that a little bit, right? So culture shock, again, that's what we're experiencing here. We're going back 3,500 years. But you also don't even need to go outside of the country to experience culture shock, even every family has their own different culture, right? You go family to family and you can see, oh, okay, they just do some things a little differently. So this is my wonderful in-law family. I married in, uh, married into a really good one, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, but early on in my relationship with Amanda, I experienced some culture shock. <laughs> they do things differently. <laughs> to put this in perspective, I have a twin sister and she is my only sibling, Amanda's the oldest of five, so I'm used to a smaller family, and she's used to pure chaos. <laughs> in her family, if you wanted to be heard, this is, this is really where it got me, it, it was communication. If you wanted to be heard, you had to yell, you had to interrupt people, and sometimes you even had to grab someone by the face and make them look you in the eyes in order to get their attention. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> That's what it was like. Me, on the other hand, I grew up in a civilized family (laughs) that we would wait our turn to speak and we'd use our calm indoor voices most of the time. (laughs) So I'm just just joking. But it is chaotic in their family and I've learned to love it, I've learned to to really get used to it, Um, but I'm very blessed by them. So culture shock, it happens all over the place, right? So again, we're going to get into some weird details. Try not to get hung up on the details because it's weird. It is. And that's okay to say. In fact, it, and I'll give you some, some, something else to think about because it's helped me. It, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but for me, it's just become a really helpful way to think through some of the things in the Old Testament. Because we're talking, again, culture. 3,500 years ago. And you think, God never changes, right? He is always, always the same. His character, his heart is always the same throughout history. But man, he had them do some weird things. So, but it's also helpful to note that 3,500 years ago in the ancient Near East, the Israelites, the Jewish religion, they were not the only religion that offered sacrifices. In fact, pretty much every single religion that existed back then, or any, you know, any worship of God's period involved some level of sacrifice. It did. Often uh, they included some human sacrifices, which were not okay at all. And that's something very distinct that you see in the way that God instructs his people. Human sacrifice was off the table. But I think that's helpful to know because it's easy for me to, to rationalize this and be like, okay, if God, if his heart is for people and that was something that was normal for them, like it's completely abnormal for us, but it was normal for them. They saw it all around them. You know, it makes sense to me that God would take something that they're familiar with and say, you know what, I'm going to use that to interact with you, to love you, to care for you, to help you to understand who I am and my truths. So just throwing that out there, that's not explicitly said in Scripture, but I think that that can be really helpful, right? Because, again, people 3,500 years ago across the world, this was normal to them. So let's jump in and embrace the weirdness of all of this. We're going to get into the Minha and the Shelemim. And so, for this, I want to read uh, some excerpts from these two chapters, Leviticus two and three. And before I do, another disclaimer, because okay, oh raise show of hands. How many people, when they read their Bible, have a hard time reading it and understanding it? Okay, if you have, if you did not raise your hand. Uh, Please come teach me (laughs) because I still am so confused by this sometimes, right? So one of the things that we're gonna see and this is one of the reasons why I'm not gonna read the whole chapter is that they're very repetitive You ever read the Old Testament and you just say like this guy's saying the same thing over and over and over again What is going on? So they didn't have punctuation They didn't have three exclamation points or all caps. They didn't have that So when they repeated themselves, that was their way of saying this is really important pay attention so that's what we see in this passage. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read some, pa- some excerpts of it, but it's, re- re- it's repetitive for that reason. So this is very, very important for God to instruct them this way. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read this in honor of God's word. Leviticus 2, starting in verse 1. When you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest will scoop out a handful of the flour, moistened with oil, together with all the frankincense, and burn this representative portion on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. If your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, it must be made of choice flour, but without any yeast. It may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with olive oil, but without any yeast. Break it in pieces and pour olive oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in, in a part, it must be made of choice flour and olive oil. Jumping ahead to verse 12 and 13. Oh my gosh. You may add yeast and honey to an offering of the first crops of your honey, of your harvest, but these must never be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to, to add salt to your grain offerings. That's the Minha. Chapter 3 is the shelamim. If you present an animal from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or a female, but it must have no defects. Lay it on the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. The priests must present part of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and Aaron's sons will burn them on top of the burnt offering on the wood burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then jumping to verse 17. You must never eat any fat or blood. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation, wherever you live. All right, you may be seated. Weird, right? It's gross. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so I want to talk about this first. And we're going to go go talk about both of these different sacrifices, but the first one is called the minha or if you want to get extra Jewish and pronounce it correctly, it's the mincha. So you got to get some throat in there. So I want you to try this with me, okay? Mincha. Okay, good job. Nice. You can work those throats pretty well. Mincha. So that's the Hebrew word for this offering in particular. So many of you, if you're reading in your Bibles and you saw we read a little bit, often this is referred to as the grain offering. It's pretty much referred to that because that's how it was offered, right? It's not actually called the grain offering. It's an offering of grain. But the, this word, mincha, in Hebrew, it effectively means something along the lines of gift or tribute. And we don't really do much of this in our culture today. We don't really offer tributes to people. But this still can be really helpful for us to understand what this sacrifice was like. And so we'll get into this a little bit, but tribute. The first time that this was ever offered is actually all the way back in Genesis 4. So again, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there and follow along, that'd be great. But Genesis 4, this may be a familiar story to you. It's the first mincha offering, and it goes back to Cain and Abel. So the writer of Genesis says this, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock The Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but he did not accept Cain in his gift This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. This is the first mincha offering, the first tribute offering to God. And you may have noticed Abel brings meat, Cain brings some crops and vegetables. So, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't blame him for picking Abel. Personally, if you offer me a steak and veg- vegetables, I'm going to pick the steak. So that's just me. I know we live in Boulder, so not everybody may, might not make that same choice. But some people will look at this and be like, God, what? Why? What's wrong with Cain? Like, they both brought offerings and you just rejected him. Okay, it seems pretty unfair. Well, again, if we think about this as a tribute offering, right? They're offering their tribute. There's a few clues in here that really help us to understand their hearts. God is pleased with Abel's, not Cain's. But if you look at the language, Abel, it it is said of Abel's offering that he brought the best portions of his flock. The best. When you look at the language used of Cain's offering, it's like Cain just brought some of his crops. So even the language is a clue there, okay. Abel, his heart was in. Abel is the guy on Valentine's Day that makes every other man on the planet look bad. Seriously, right? He goes all out. He gets the best of the best. He goes way out of his way to demonstrate his love and his affection for God. Right? Cain is the rest of us who may have forgotten about it. We run to the store last minute and just get the stereotypical flowers and box of chocolates. And we're like, cool, call it a day. We're done. (laughs) Right? Okay. This is church. Confession time. How many of you men have ever just run to the store last minute to buy flowers and a box of chocolates? (laughs) I do not believe you. What is going on? Man, okay, you all need to find some way to confess your sins, because, <laughs> my goodness, your wives deserve better, my wife deserves better. Um, but Valentine's Day is a silly holiday, right? I, let's be honest, it's silly, It's okay, it's a whole conspiracy. But let's move on and think about a wedding anniversary, okay, I think that might be a little bit better. So if, for those of you who are married, you know anniversaries are a big deal. And if you celebrate an anniversary, you're pretty much obligated to do it. Again, let's be honest here, right? Comes up every year, you have an obligation, otherwise you're gonna be in trouble with your wife. Um, I mean, it goes the other way around too, I think. Man, did you, did you forget our anniversary one year? No? I'm just, ma- okay, I won't go there. Thanks, I've gotta listen to the wisdom of Brian over here. <laughs> just trying to make the, <laughs> trying, to, trying to even it up here a little bit, okay. Um, didn't work. <laughs> But you're obligated to do it, right? But it's still an anniversary. You still do it out of love and affection for your spouse, right? So even though it's, you're obligated, you still do it with the right heart, right? So that's this tribute offering, right? The tribute offering is bringing a heart before God to communicate in some way, you are everything to me. You are my first priority. And we express that. So, so in the Old Testament, that's what this offering was to do. That's what it was meant for. It was to offer a tribute to the Lord, to communicate to him that you matter to me, and I'm going to give you the best of the best. That's the mincha. That's the, that's the heart behind that. But as you notice, as we read it, there's a lot of weird details in here that, again, I'm not... I'm not um, a very good cook, I'll say that. I can do the basics, but I'm really not that good. Amanda can, uh, can tell you how frustrated I get in the kitchen <laughs> if I'm ever obligated, yeah, if I ever have to cook anything, it doesn't go well. But so when I read these instructions about grain offerings and how you prepare it this way or that way, I'm just like, this is way over my head and I do not get it. But we've got this handy thing called the internet and uh, research, so how many of you have a smartphone on you? Yes, cool. So this is the cool thing about our generation, we have access to the internet, the, almost all of the information in the world at our fingertips all the time. So yes, I did do a lot of research on some of these details. Um, sometimes you have to find the right sources, but at the very least, I want you to know, like you said earlier, if, if reading the Bible is hard for you, if it's difficult, man, do a, do a quick Google search. Seriously, you find a lot of answers. But on top of that, you also have people that you have access to. Brian and I love to talk some of this stuff. So if you're ever curious at, at all, if you're just reading through the Old Testament on your own time or even the New Testament, something really confuses you, seriously, give me a call, shoot me a text. I would love to chat with you about it because it's interesting to me. But you have the ability to find answers. So all that to say, there's a bunch of ingredients listed for the Mincha offering. And it's really easy just to breeze right over it, to read through them, you're like, okay, Lord, whatever, I don't know why you're committing this, but I'm just gonna read past it anyway. But I wanna bring it up because some of these details are really interesting, and they really help us understand the purpose of this offering. So, there's a few things that are specified. And I got an illustration for you. So two things. He says, never to put in this offering, at least the portion that's burned on the altar. You never put yeast in it, and you never put honey in it, ever. And I'm like, okay, that seems pretty arbitrary, right? I don't know. I found some, uh, some flat-ish looking bread things. These are still made with yeast. I had a hard time finding something that wasn't made with yeast. So this, even this, would not be acceptable. You could not burn this on the, uh, on the altar, right? Same with honey. You cannot burn these on the altar. Anybody miss breakfast this morning? <laughs> Seriously, yeah? (laughs) I'm just gonna throw bread at you. Anybody else hungry, want a meal? Yeah, Molly, okay, you raised your hand. Even if you meant it jokingly, I'm throwing stuff at you. (laughs) Ethan, dude, do it, man. You spread honey on this, it's delicious. All right, cool. All right, so you never offer those things on the altar. And I'll address that in a second, but I need a volunteer real quick. Anybody love to play with fire? Except for Ethan. <laughs> Hunter. I want to grab Hunter. Hunter, come on up. Okay. So I'll say this. I found out, and again, this isn't explicitly stated in the Bible, but it would it make a lot of sense. God uses these ingredients as an object lesson for the Israelites. He says, Never put yeast or honey on the offering to to burn to the Lord. So while we talk about this, Hunter, I want you, we've got a pile of salt right here. And so what I want you to do is try to light it on fire. Have fun. Okay. You can use that, you can crank up the lighter fluid or whatever the setting is. It's all right, you can stay there. So Hunter's gonna to try to light this on fire. I'm trying to help you guys to see it have a, as a visual here. But keep trying, keep going, we'll see if it works. Um, you can go double-fisted, yeah. I mean, pull out, pull out two lighters. If you want, we've got these giant matches. You should probably try a couple of these okay. sure. if you get a chance. Sure. But you were never supposed to offer yeast or honey in your offering because when it was burned in those conditions, they would both ferment. And fermentation is a form of decay. So God, in his infinite wisdom was giving them a picture of do not offer anything that will decay, because he didn't want anything to resemble any sort of diminishing effect of decay in that offering. Hey dude, pull out some of these, these matches. They're giant, so. Josh is in the back with a, a fire extinguisher in just case anything goes wrong. Yeah, you guys help it. Here's a, here's a strike pad right there. Or you can just do it that way, put it in the lighter. That works too. Um, very strong. It's good. Good job. Yeah, it broke, dude. Why'd you break the matches? <laughs> Base hands. <laughs> so on the other hand, we see what they're... We got some smoke going on here. Luckily, we don't have any sprinklers, so... Um, you can see, maybe, if, if they're not blocking your line of sight, salt doesn't burn. You have WD-40. I'm not giving you wd-40 nothing flammable, dude (laughs) That's a pretty big flame nothing's working so salt does not burn okay you guys can give up now. That's all right (laughs) Salt does not burn You can go to extremely high temperatures and extremely low temperatures and salt remains the same So again, we see this, you're not supposed to offer yeast or honey, but God explicitly says in every offering, you must season it with salt. You must. And he gives a reason that made no sense to me until I understood the properties of salt is that it's to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Okay, how does salt do that? It doesn't burn. It remains the same. So in every single time that they offered this sacrifice, they had a visual that God's covenant stays the same forever. He is always faithful to us. He will always follow through. His promises will always stand. Isn't that cool? So there's a lot of weird random details in the Old Testament. (laughs) But man, there's some meaning behind it too. This this carries down for us, right? We don't live under the old covenant anymore. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But in the new covenant in Jesus Christ, it stays the same. His love for us will never change. His commitment to us will never fade. It will last anything. So now shifting gears a a little bit. That's the mincha. The shelimim is... A little bit of a different one this is the gross one right this is the one where there's there's some animal sacrifice pretty much all the other ones involve animals but the Shelemim, if you see it in your Bibles a lot of a lot of people refer to it as the peace offering and the reason for that is the word Shelemim comes from the Hebrew word shalom which means peace um, and the Jewish concept of peace we talked about this several months ago um, But the the Jewish concept of peace is the idea of being complete or whole, or things are as they should be. It's not just an absence of conflict. Things are as they should be. So that's where this word comes from, but it's pretty broad. So we're going to talk about it this morning as the fellowship offering. A lot of scholars talk about it as a fellowship offering because largely of how it was performed. It was all about celebrating. It was all about hanging out with other people, worshiping God, and worship, and, and hanging out with other worshipers. It was basically a big religious feast. And that's the Shelemim. So, the way this works, and, and we saw this a little bit, there's some gross parts for sure, right? First and foremost, the fat and some of the internal organs are offered to the Lord. They're put on the altar, blood is like splattered all over the altar. I don't know why, it's weird. Um, But that is given to God first. So there's an absolute aspect of we're communing with God, we're worshiping God. Then there's a few pieces that go to the priests and his family, um, because, you know, priests and pastors and, you know, we need love too. so. Um, So they are given some so they can eat, but then the rest of the animal... The vast majority of the animal is just given right back to the worshiper so that they can go eat it and celebrate with their friends or anybody else who's there to worship God. That's the shellamine. So yes, it's, like it's an offering, it's a sacrifice, but more than anything, it's just a party. It's just a way to celebrate God, to hang out with each other. So, one of the curious things about it is that the fat was the piece that's offered to the Lord. Um... Some people ask why. The biggest thing that I can think of is back in that day, fat was considered a delicacy. It was like the best part of the meat. Does anybody like to eat the meat or the, the, the fat on their steak? Okay, that's more than I expected. You guys are weird. <laughs> I don't understand you. Ethan, man, it's weird. It's just like so chewy and like, I don't, uh I don't like it. Well, But you guys would get along with God on this, because back <laughs> in this day, fat was considered to be the best part. So again, in every offering, the best portions go to God to show our devotion to him, right? But then the rest of it was meant for this huge party. So I want to point out a couple things, because there's a lot of details here as well, but something that'll help us to understand the heart behind the Shelemin is when it was offered. So when, when did they do this offering? They did it to give thanks to God. Whenever there is an instance where something big happened and it was worthy to, to just thank God, right? If, if he answered some huge prayers, if he delivered Israel from an enemy, you know, whatever it was, it didn't even necessarily have to be huge, but it was to celebrate God and to give thanks to him. This was offered. The second one was making or completing vows. So we still kind of do this with marriage ceremonies, right? When you get married, that's a, that's, A big deal, you're making a lifelong vow to another human being before God. We celebrate that, right? So that's another instance where the shelamim was offered, and then the third one, um, the Bible refers to it as a free will offering. This is fancy language for just because you want to. So the shelamim was offered literally if you just wanted to do it for no good reason other than you believe that God is good and you want to have fun and celebrate Him and praise Him, you would do this offering. So, again, the heart behind this is to celebrate God, to hang out and, and enter in communion with him and with other people, right? And I love that last one because, like, when was the last time we literally just did something to celebrate God just because we feel like it? I mean, you ask, I mean, my wife especially, I, I know some, some women agree with this as well. Sometimes the best time for her to get flowers or a gift from me is just for no good reason, Right? So God, in his love for us, and he desires us to love him back. This is all about relationship, right? He, desi- he, he desires for us to put him first. He desires for us to love him in return and engage in that relationship just as he is engaged with us. So that's the minha and the Shelamim. And I wanted to breeze through those because I want to shift gears and point back to the New Testament because all of this culminates in the New Covenant. So I don't know if if you have heard this language before, right? There's an Old Covenant, which is the Old Testament law. That's what the Israelites were bound to. There's the Old Covenant and there's the New Covenant. The New Covenant is established with Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later. So we are under the New Covenant, but all of this culminates in the New Covenant. And I want to read... Hebrews 10 a good portion of this chapter Because sometimes I mean Sometimes the Bible can be really hard to read This is a passage that it makes a lot of sense. I mean there might be a few You know questions here and there, but this is way better than anything. I can just preach So i'm just going to read this to you and this is uh, Some people used to think it was paul. We actually don't know who the author of hebrews is fun fact Um, but whoever wrote hebrews goes way out of his way to, to explain to the Jews the, basically what has happened in the New Covenant versus the Old. So this is what he says. The Old System, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, right? The son said to his father, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. But you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. I believe, honestly, that that's more because... The heart was lost. People would just do them year after year, you know, all the time, repeatedly, and they lost the heart. They weren't bringing their full heart to God in those offerings. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings, because there was like a thousand offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself, that's talking about Jesus, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He's talking about us. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Amen, right? It's pretty powerful. In light of understanding these sacrifices, this is the conclusion we get in Jesus Christ, that we don't, no no more blood is needed. Jesus' sacrifice is done once and for all. We are made right with God, period. And there's the promise that he is making us holy, He sees us as perfect, and now the rest of our lives, he's just working out that righteousness in our lives, making us holy. But I want you to notice something, because the heart, again, the heart behind these these sacrifices, behind these offerings, that remains. That stays the same. We don't have to do any of that stuff anymore, but the heart is what God is still after. He wants us to come to him and give him our best. He wants us to come to him and respond to what he has done on the cross with our love, with our devotion. The relationship. The heart stays the same. Jesus himself, in Matthew 22, most often this is referred to as the greatest commandment. Someone asks him, trying to test him, you're like, okay, Jesus, if you're so smart, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And he says... You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. He didn't have to add this part, by the way. I love this about the greatest commandment. He could have stopped there and people are like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's the greatest commandment. But he didn't stop and he said, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the, com- all the demands and commandments of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The heart behind it is the same. Love God, love others. So we're not under the, the Old Testament law anymore. Instead, we are under something called the law of Christ. It's something that Paul uses a few times in, in when he writes scripture. Um, but the law of Christ, and this is it, to love God, to love others, that's the law of Christ. The heart stays the same, the way that we do it is completely different. And it could be different between a lot of us in this room. But regardless, the heart is that God would come first. Period. So I want to pause here and ask us, what is required of us today? Because again, Brian mentioned this last week, the the sacrifices listed in the Old Testament were a lot of work. A ton of work. A ton of very precise instructions. So Jesus did away with the Old Covenant, gave us a New Covenant, but even though we don't have to do all of that, like, do we still have to do something? Is something still required of us? The answer is yes. It's none of these sacrifices. So I wanna give you a few things to think about. What is required of us today? First and foremost, God has to come first. The heart is the same. God wants us to love him with everything that we are. He needs to be our first love, our first priority. And as as radical as it can sound, God needs to come before your spouse, before your family, before your job, before anybody else that God has put in your life. God needs to come first. So what does that look like? The first thing I want to tell you is serve the church. How many of you know the church is called the body of Christ? Right? The body of Christ, it's also referred to as the bride of Christ. So the church, not just Rock Creek Church, but we're a part of it, right? The church, believers all over the world, we are literally God's bride. So a part of showing devotion to God is to serve the church. And I love this church because so many of us and so many of you are so deeply committed to these ministries and you're involved on a weekly basis. Um, Some of the worship team, we got here at like 7.30 this morning just to prepare to uh, sing music and praise God together. Like that's devotion, right? So I want to encourage you, serve the church. If you're you're still serving the church, continue to do so and remember that you're doing that for, for God. If you're not, I just want to encourage you, find an area where you can contribute, right? Because this is our body. Just like if my leg decides to stop working one day, I'm not going to get very far. (laughs) I need two legs to walk, right? We need you. The church needs each and every one of us to contribute, to bring our part. So that is absolutely important in how we show devotion to God. The second one I want to give you is join the mission, you realize that God is on mission. You may have heard me say, it. I say this to our students all the time, we are saved to be sent. We're not saved so we can just be happy and then live out the rest of our days and be like, oh cool, I'm good with God. No, we're saved so that we can be sent and to continue to further the kingdom of God. That requires that we align our hearts with God. So if we align our heart with God's and we understand the way he sees people, right? When he looks at people in this world, he sees people that are lost, that are in desperate need of a savior, that are made in his image. Doesn't matter who you're talking about. If we align our hearts with God's, we see the same in other people. And we are called to join him in mission and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, taking good news, taking love everywhere we go, even if it means we're trampled on in the process. we're on mission. When you begin to see your life as being on mission and not just something for you to spend and do whatever you want with, it changes the way that you interact with God. It really does. I've been telling Amanda, I've really been feeling convicted recently. I love coffee, I go to a lot of coffee shops. When I order my drink and I go back and wait for it to be made, I'm so quick to pull this thing out and just start scrolling. Why? Because I've got nothing better to do, I'm just gonna distract myself and look at my news feed. But if I'm on mission, I realize that I have an opportunity right there. If I keep my head up and I look around, I may have an opportunity to talk with the barista or notice that someone is in the corner hurting. And I don't know, maybe they just need someone to come say hi and say, hey, how are you doing? Living on mission, lifting our heads up and seeing the opportunities around us. Otherwise, we just close ourselves off and live and do whatever the heck we wanna do. And we ignore the fact that God may be calling us to do something. So joining God's mission. And then the last thing I just want to say with this is that it kind of encapsulates all of this. What's required of us? Stop living for yourself and live for God. Period. Live for God. Serve him. Give him everything. He gave you everything he had. He gave you his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, so that we could give him everything. That's the relationship, right? He gave us everything so we could give him everything. We may need to reevaluate the ideas that we may have about what we want our life to look like or who we even are and surrender that for what God has for us. See what God can do through you. Don't hold him and say, God, no, you need to serve my ideas. You need to serve what I want to do you need to better my life the way it is. No, we surrender that and say, God, have your way. I'm, I am fully, wholly yours. And that's when we will see the difference in our lives. That's when we will see our relationship with Jesus all the more strengthened. That's when we'll see him move and work in our lives. He'll use us to make a difference in the world for the good. So we all have buts. we all have butts. 1 T, not 2 T's. Josh <laughs> giggling over there like a little schoolboy. <laughs> we all have butts. Sometimes when we hear things of like man the church, okay, even a, a smaller church like Rock Creek Church, it takes a lot of effort for this ministry to run. Takes a lot of effort for us to continue to do things year after year after year. I mean, you guys saw the the, the shoeboxes out front. That was a lot of work. <laughs> got 470 shoeboxes packed for kids in Juarez. For many of us, when we think about the demands that it takes to do ministry, and by the way, we all do ministry. It can be so easy to be like, well, but I, you know, I'm too busy, but I've got this to go on. Oh, but I have to do this or whatever it is. You all have your excuses. I have my excuses. They don't matter. Seriously. It's not until you get rid of your butts, get rid of your excuses and literally come to Jesus and say, here I am. What do you want me to do? And I will obey. That's the point we need to get to. That's the point what God is calling us to. That's our devotion. That's our sacrifice. Brian mentioned this passage last week. I'm going to bring it up again because it's a perfect summary for all of this. Romans 12 verse 1. Paul says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. When it says offer your bodies, it's literally offer yourself. Offer everything you have and just say, God, here I am. I'm yours. Whatever that means. And just wait and see what God will do. Because God loves you. More than you can possibly imagine. He cherishes you. He doesn't. He's not power hungry. He doesn't want just control of your life so he can micromanage you, right? God knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for the world, and He is moving His kingdom here and now. Even, with, even if we may not be fully aware of it, He's moving, and He wants us to be a part. Of it. So surrender. We're going to end today with communion, um, something we're doing every week this series. Because, again, this is the symbol of the few things, few practices and rituals that Jesus commanded us to do. Communion was one of the most important. That and baptism. Because they are symbols, they are visuals for the new covenant, for what Jesus did. His body was broken, his blood was poured out for us. So we could be under this new covenant. So during these last two songs, come up at your own leisure. Um, Spend some time praying. Spend some time talking to God. Examine your heart. See where you're at. See what God may be wanting to do. And then when you're ready, you can come up through the sides and return to your seat through the middle just to help streamline some things. But will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. As, As difficult as it can be, to understand at times, as, it, as difficult as it can be to, to wrestle through what does it mean to fully sacrifice ourselves for you. Um, I thank you that it's one long story of how you've worked throughout history. So I pray that you would help us to, to devote ourselves to you take steps. And we don't have to do it all at once necessarily. Sometimes you just call us to do that next thing. So help us to take those next steps. Help us to have the wisdom and the discernment to know what that is. Help us to talk to the people that we need to talk to. Uh, Help us to love your church well. Help us to see the world the way you see it. And to be on mission to love people, to share your gospel for communion this morning, that you have given us such a powerful image of what you've done for us on the cross. So Jesus, we give you the rest of this day, our week, our month, our year, our lives.